<laughs> this episode of Working Lunch is fueled by Burger King. I'm going to do the bacon cheeseburger and fries today. Guys, what do you have on the menu? Can't go wrong with the chicken fries. Got to do the Whopper with cheese, for sure. I'm trying the new chili dogs. And I suspect Carson is somewhere looking at the gluten-sensitive list. They do have salads. All right, let's do the show. Can I help you? We need to talk about your flair. I think I'm going to have to go supersize. We need a political revolution. And we will make America great again. From the new Washington, D.C. office of Aligned Public Strategies, this is Working Lunch. On this edition of the podcast, Ivanka leave. President Trump appears to be taking cues from his daughter on paid family leave. Yum announces a parental leave policy. And a day without women is coming soon. We'll tell you what it all means for operators. Plus, proposed laws targeting executive pay. And finally, a meatless hamburger menu option that sounds de... well, we'll let you decide. Welcome to the show, everyone. I'm your host, Sean Kelly, alongside public affairs strategists Franklin Coley, Joe Kefauver, and Carson Chandler. We're very happy to welcome the newest partner at Align Public Strategies. His name is also Joe, which should make things nice and confusing for everyone. Joe Renzel is here for the pod after a busy week of officially opening Align's D.C. office. All right, guys, we're going to begin with the president's address to Congress this week. And the tone itself was a lot different than what a lot of people expected. Anything notable come out of it, though, for operators? Yeah, we were planning on naming this segment Bigger Disaster, the Oscars or Trump's address to Congress. But he was relatively presidential. And, you know, for operators, I'm not sure there's too much to draw from the speech. I mean, a lot of this stuff or issues that have been talked about before have been batted around, not a lot of new items. The only thing that was notable in my mind was his mention of parental leave. Now, he talked about parental leave on the campaign trail, but to have it take up real estate in this speech, in that forum, in that platform, it's notable. Is it, is it significant that he used the term new parents as, as opposed to new mothers? I think it just indicates where this conversation is going, where you know more Republicans, more Democrats are driving this issue up to the top. It has broad appeal. I guess we can call it Ivanka leave, right? It has it, it had a spot. Ivanka care. Yeah, it had a spot in the Republican National Convention. Um, you know, it's just it's gaining traction. The political conversation is moving forward on this issue. He gets some some freebie cheap brownie points for bringing it up, but I would. I would be very surprised if the Congress actually moved anything in this space. And if they did, I think it would be something fairly minimal. It wouldn't be a a very bold policy and probably lag far behind where the labor marketplace is now and what a lot of leading operators are already doing. What it does do, I think, kind of on the policy front, is it does provide a little bit of a tailwind to the cities and states that are looking towards Washington, D.C. that we discussed last week. Now, their leave policy is going to be looked at as the model. It does provide a little bit of tailwind for other jurisdictions to get into this game, so to speak. And I think there's so many other big issues going on right now that I don't think there's political ramifications one way or the other. If they do do it, don't do it, whatever the conversation is, there are a lot of big, high-level, you know, fractious issues going on right there. And paid leave is just way down the radar. Let's talk about the significance of the conversation. Franklin, you mentioned it. Uh, Joe, you've been talking about this for a while as well. Where is the conversation in terms of paid leave around the country? 
you know, if, if, if you're measuring wins and losses with legislation, regulation, and litigation, then paid leave's not doing very well. If you measure winning by where the conversation is, you know, the, the paid leave conversation is going on across the country. Think about if, if you'd added up all the minimum wage bills that have passed in the last two years at the state and local level, added up all the paid leave bills that have, that have passed, add up all the scheduling bills that have passed, that's not a whole lot. There's not a whole lot of wins across 50 states and, you know, hundreds of cities. But where's the conversation? We're talking about $15 minimum wages. We're talking about expansive paid leave. So they are winning the longer conversation. We talk a lot on this in our office and on this pod about, you know, trying to always play chess, not checkers. We're winning a lot of the checkers. We're winning this legislative battle, that legislative battle, that political contest. But overall, the conversation is taking our business models in a very different direction. Give me an example of a company that you think is handling this well. We saw this week Yum Brands uh, lay out a very bold, uh, aggressive paid, paid and family leave program, uh, six, going from six to eight weeks of maternity leave for home office employees up to 18, uh, a, pater- a paternity leave program for new new dads, for adoptive parents, foster kids, the whole the whole work. So it's a very uh, progressive, if you will, in this space, and it's going to set a new you know it's going to it's going to move the marketplace, kind of like Disney and Walmart did with wages on minimum wage, kind of like Starbucks doing with healthcare. It's a new marker in the labor marketplace. And we saw IKEA in the retail space make a similar announcement in December of 2016. So. We're seeing employers across the board really try to get ahead of this issue. Joe, you've got a conference coming up uh, on Monday or Tuesday is when you're going to be speaking in New York. Uh, what is the conference? And, and the, this Yum! story is something you're going to bring to that conference. Yeah, it's about the, 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 the business community and, and employers having to make decisions about these important issues um, by focusing on what's best for their company and what's best for their employees and their ability to go out and compete for the best employees and retain the best employees. And so as we see these policy issues play out, as we see brands potentially, we talked about that before on this pod, brands being attacked by uh, the White House or, or, or Trump through Twitter and how companies react and how companies react to being called out on this particular issue, how companies are reacting to these policy outcomes. It's, I think it's even more important than ever that companies need to understand that they've got to be true to their own core values, true to what that covenant is with their employees, and not worry so much about these quickly shifting political winds out there and, 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 waiting, and waiting for policies or politics to affect their decision making. And so you have a lot of companies out there with these, you know, National Day Without Immigrants protests for last month, this upcoming National Day Without Women uh, protests coming up next week. And companies are are really nervous about how to react. What should we be doing? How do we how do we play in this space and do the right thing by our employees, but not get in trouble? You know, and so that's the purpose of that conversation. I think, you know. Like Yum, on this particular issue, companies are just going to have to find that space, find out what their core values are, how they want to operate their business, and try not to worry too much about these competing 
cross currents in the political space over, overhead. All that being said, I think it's worth noting, though, that the Ikeas and the yums of the world that are getting ahead on whether it's parental leave or paid leave or minimum wage or any of these other bundle of employment policy issues, that they're essentially removing themselves from this political dialogue. They're, they will probably not be the political football and the poster child for what is bad employment practices and why government needs to step in and regulate. And so there are benefits in the public affairs space for these, for advancing these policies. And I completely agree. You know, that's always part of good corporate decision making. It's, it's, it's one of the many factors that senior executives have to take into account. But this was not that. But the driver. The, the driver of this was about employees and being competitive in that space and getting the best employees they could. Earlier, we talked about a National Day Without Women, and that is coming up on March 8th. And we could see similarities to a day without immigrants on the national scale. Franklin, first, what was, how did that affect operators, the National Day Without Immigrants? Yeah, so some operators weren't really prepared for that day, and so they faced call-outs or folks not showing up to work. And in some cases, restaurants and maybe even retail locations actually had to shut down for the day. Um, so we may see that this week uh, for the National Day Without Women. But, you know, one of the other things that operators really have to think through is are they going to take punitive action against employees that just don't show up for work? And, you know, if you're kind of looking at company policy and you're looking at the handbook, and of course anyone that's thinking going this route needs to consult legal counsel, but you know, by the letter of the law, this may not be a reason to miss work, but there's a whole bundle of other considerations here. And we saw news stories of at least one restaurant, but I'm sure there were more employers that did take punitive action against folks that didn't show up to work for the day without immigrants. And they got a, they got a rash of bad press around that and have forced themselves into the middle of this conversation. So brands need to think through those considerations as they think how to respond to workers being out for these protests or these rallies. I think it would be helpful for listeners to hear about a a story about a company going through that. And you guys had a conversation with an executive just this week uh, from a major brand. Uh, Talk about what this executive said about what they went through during this process of having employees leave during the National Day Without Immigrants, and now they might have to address this again during National Day Without Women. Yeah, I think the overall kind of headline from that conversation was, you know, every operators, managers should be enforcing company policies all the time, kind of across the board. But if you've been lax in those policies in the past, maybe this isn't the time to really get stringent on enforcing those policies. These types of events are good are good times to kind of look the other way. And, uh, you, you know, th- there's going to be more and more of these things. And it's these types of events where you can have a, 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 an individual manager or an individual franchisee just do something that may be by the book, per se, but really tone deaf to what's going on around and tone deaf to, to the impact they may have on, that may have on the brand. So, so companies need to start internalizing their processes and understanding that this this, this, these kind of events, at least for the foreseeable future, are going to become kind of the new norm, and they've got to figure out a different type of 
process to react appropriately to these things. And, and yet again, this isn't legal advice, but I think the main message here is you need to be taking into account other considerations than just legal advice and these issues. One important consideration, Carson, if you could address is what happens if a company punishes an immigrant, punishes a woman for for taking part in a day like this? How does that affect, you worked in a mayor's office, you've worked in a United States Senator's office, how does that influence an elected official when when there's something punitive involved? Sure, we we, we know that that this is something that's going to generate news coverage. And we know that despite the scale, whether it's big, large, it's going to generate a lot of news coverage. And so if it's negative news coverage, that's going to influence the opinions of elected officials around the country. We're entering what I would call kind of state of the city season for most of the major cities out there. Kind of the the end of the winter, beginning of spring is when they do these speeches. And, And by and large, every state of the city speech, every big policy speech is always going to involve mayors and cities looking to park partner with different businesses to showcase this is the new, you know, this is the new store that's opening, this is the new factory that's creating jobs, this is a new company that's coming to town. And there's a tremendous amount of work that goes in, a tremendous amount of political calculus and vetting that goes into, you know, who is my mayor going to stand next to for these opportunities? It's an opportunity for a company, it's an opportunity for, for a mayor to look good. And that vetting process is 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 pretty detailed, and this is something that could you know disqualify a company from getting the opportunity to stand with that mayor and showcase their brand. The political dynamics these days for these events and others make these issues very difficult for brands to navigate. The political winds, these types of events are going to just continue to escalate and escalate, and companies can't be playing whack-a-mole reacting to the story of the day or the tweet of the day or the protest of the day they've just got to you know double down and 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 have a conversation with with their internal stakeholders whether it's their board their executive team their employees and say our our employees and our relationship is that's our priority and this is what we're about as a company and and we're going to honor our employees if they want to do X and we're going to honor them if they want to do Y. But here are the things that we, we can't we, we can't have you doing to disrupt the business. Here are the things that are okay. We just they, they have to learn to not panic about the outside world. You know, in a lot of companies and I've worked for a lot of companies, you know, a, a little, you know, bad press here, a little uprising there and it's a four alarm fire and the sandbags go up and we're panicked about what our customers might think, what our shareholders might think. We've got to get past that and really focus because you're not going to be able to control that in less and less every day in this environment. And we've got to get to a place where we just pivot and focus on our employees and what matters to them for the long haul. Right. And it's about the long game because day to day, the way the political cycle is going now, you know, most brands can't help that they're getting drawn into some of these conversations and so it's important that your message both internally and i think externally is consistent with company values where the company stands and you know that's translated through the way they approach a lot of these issues time for top items these are some of the key legislative issues from the week impacting business models joe pretty slow week pretty slow week but a couple a couple items rose to the top new mexico we had a minimum wage bill there passed the state senate. Franklin's a little different than the House bill, correct? Yeah, the House bill right now has scheduling preemption in it. The Senate bill does not. But it's the $9 rate, correct? 
$9 rate in the Senate, and you know this is a compromise bill. Republicans didn't put up a fight. Governor has indicated that she would sign a marginal I, I think minimum she'll wage sign increase. It. My guess so, is she signs it. Depending what comes out of the House, you know, likely to get some type of compromise bill in New Mexico. We also saw a $15 minimum wage bill get introduced in Michigan this week. See what happens there. Yeah, doubtful. Doubtful. Uh, once again, going back to my beloved Baltimore, Maryland. Crab cake and football. That's what Maryland does. Another $15 wage bill that we've been talking about for a few weeks now passed a key committee this week. Guys, that, that becomes law. That passes, right? I think so. I mean, you got your neighbors to the south in D.C. doing similar things. It can be up for a vote as early as Monday. One caveat, though, if the mayor vetoes it, and she hasn't yet indicated that she supports it, then the council would have to override her veto, and that would take 12 of 15 votes from the council. What's going on in St. Louis, Franklin? That big week there. Yeah, the Missouri Supreme Court struck down the state's preemption law that applied to St. Louis, but it was kind of an unexpected ruling. The city's not exactly prepared as they're getting their act together. Expect the state legislature to act and clean this up and preempt the city. So at the end of the day, it's probably going to be a lot to do about nothing. It's also worth noting that there's a separate but very similar lawsuit related to Kansas City that is still working its way through the courts. I think the last thing that was interesting this week was Chicago. You know, we had a hotbed of minimum wage activity last year uh, with the passage and then Cook County doing their own thing. And now it appears they're setting up a whole enforcement mechanism. Yeah, it was minimum wage, paid leave, a whole bunch of things. And they passed a quote-unquote wage theft law. What they're saying now, what activists are saying is that, you know, if the feds, if the Trump's Labor Department's not going to be aggressive in enforcement, well, they're going to, they want Chicago to set up their own Office of Labor Management Standards. We've seen this in L.A. It's kind of modeled off of L.A. And uh, if they're successful, then employers in Chicago are going to have to deal with a mini Department of Labor at the local level. And the last issue, of course, New York scheduling. I mean, big week, a lot, lot of activity this week uh, in the New York City Council. What do we see happening? Yeah, I expect a hearing tomorrow. Uh, I, I would expect there to be support. Tomorrow being for, Friday. Tomorrow being Friday. I expect there to be support for the package. A lot of onerous bills in there that affect both restaurant and retail. Uh, I think they, they don't expect a vote tomorrow, but it's coming soon. Time for the Paul Revere segment when we alert operators to an emerging issue that could affect their business models. Joe Renzel, the new guy at Align Public Strategies, is here. Joe Renzel, also from Villanova University, the national champions of 2016, beating the North Carolina Tar Heels. Franklin, I'm sorry about that. But Go Wildcats, really, I'm not Wildcats sorry. are now dominating this office. Yeah, well, we'll see what happens in March, where the domination occurs. All right, Joe, tell us about an issue that you see coming around the corner. Yeah, so I think one of the things that uh, operators should probably be concerned with is uh, a lot of these states uh, and localities are looking at bills that are looking at uh, median pay ratios for CEOs and median workers. Yeah, and so Portland passes the end of last year, and, and we now have 10 bills in seven states. And essentially what it does is it's designed to go after public companies where the CEO pay rate is out of whack, if you will, is much higher than the frontline workers. And so the ratio that they're looking at is 100 to 1. That is a 10% surtax. And if the ratio is 250 to 1 or above, you're looking at a 25% surtax. That's a pretty amazing 
And, and Portland's already passed right. this. What do you what do you think? Other jurisdictions will pass, or just so, the, the narrative is part of the. Yeah, I think, I think that's the point. I think you've got uh, 10 bills in seven different states. I think those states are really prime for issues like this. This is about the narrative. This is about talking about big CEOs and, uh, and making a lot of money and, and the lower income folks not. And how can they take advantage of that? And more importantly, tying some tax revenue to it is something that a lot of these localities will seek to push for sure. And San Francisco, not surprisingly, has already announced that they will introduce a bill modeled off of Portland's in the spring. And I think one other thing that's important is that, you know, operators, folks listening to this will say, oh, my God, yeah, that's so far-fetched. That's crazy. And, yeah, it may be. Um, and they throw a lot of these types of issues up against the wall. But three years ago, we all thought that a $15 minimum wage was crazy. And look where we are now on that issue. Our final item of the day, Bear Burger out of New York City has introduced the Impossible Burger. Now, this is a burger that's not an actual hamburger. This is manufactured meat, as they say, made with wheat protein, potato protein, coconut oil, carbohydrates from Japanese jam. The CEO of the company said, my first taste of an impossible burger was a surreal moment. Franklin, are you going to try one of these things? What's impossible is me ever trying one of those. It's just not right. Do we invent this for Guantanamo Bay or something? Is it a torture device? Who would eat this? I mean, if you're going to have... A vegan wrap, have a vegan wrap. If you're going to have a burger, have a dripping red burger covered in bacon and cheese. That's it for the podcast. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you again next week.